this morning for children's uh, church time. We are just going to have the younger group go. So if your kid is in pre-K, we would invite them to head back to children's church. Um, All of our older kids in grade school, we want you guys to stick around as we begin to get into the, the Christmas season. We want you to be a part of that. Today, as I mentioned last Sunday, uh, we are taking a break from the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Philip Veers, our Sunday school director, informed me that I'm a liar because starting next week, our Sunday school material starts in the book of Ezekiel. So it's always good to be welcomed on a Sunday morning by one of your deacons calling you a liar. But, you know, that's, you know, to a degree that's true. Nevertheless, we will be looking at some different passages um, throughout the Christmas season and the season of Advent. Today, we are going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to be starting in verse 13, as you can see on the wall, and reading through to verse 21. So please, please, if you have your Bible, read along with me. If not, just allow the word to speak to you this morning. The word of God says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. But with, ple- but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who brought him, uh, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Please be seated. As we begin the Christmas season and as we begin this season of Advent, one of the things that we are going to be talking about in the weeks to come is a thing called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. And the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, if you don't know what that is, that is an offering that we collect throughout the the month of December and even a little bit into January. And what that offering does is that goes towards the International Mission Board to help church planters and missionaries all over the globe. In fact, the, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is so important to the International Mission Board that when we give to that, they collect all of that money from Southern Baptist churches like ours all over um, the, this nation and probably the nations. And that is what sets the budget for what they do in the coming year. Everything that we give goes towards missions and missions work on the field and it, does, and it helps them accomplish their mission. I remember very clearly as we were driving around Brazil one time with our church partners down in Brazil and we were talking about the offering and we were talking about their car and and the, the missionary Stan said to me, he goes, listen, the IMB owns my car. He said, but know this, Lottie Moon puts gas in it. 
And his ability to drive around in, in his city and do ministry and go and visit people and all those things is he knows for a fact that that happens from Lottie Moon. And what that means for us is during this month, we are going to take some time and we are going to talk about missions. And we are going to talk about what it means to, to take the word of God and take the gospel to the nations. Not only do we help in this regard, but as you've already known, we have in just a week's time, we're going to be helping even locally, not out to the nations, not out to Brazil, but even right here with things like the Affordable Christmas. As we're going to collect toys and we've already been doing so, and we are going to go and help put on an Affordable Christmas store as we partner with Northside Baptist Church. This is a season in the church, and not just Tunnel Hill, but many churches, where we begin to do a much better job at serving our community and the world around us. About going out and doing things that, that make the name of Jesus known. Indeed, I think it can be very easy to say that the birth of our Savior serves as a powerful motivation to get the church moving. In our passage today, Peter was also attempting to motivate the church to be active as well. He wanted to see the church go. Very similar to us today, the churches that Peter is addressing in the letter today are a church that are, is a church that has experienced a prolonged season of difficulty and hardship. We, as the church, as Tunnel Hill, have dealt with a persistent virus. We have dealt with a divided nation, a lot of ugly politics and news. We have, been, we have been frustrated around every quarter. And just when we think things are starting to turn back to normal, we hear about a new variant or, or something else that often causes us to shrink back and to, be, to, to want to kind of pr protect what we have. The church that Paul is writing to is the persecuted church. Facing far worse than anything we could even imagine in our day and age. And because of that, the church had become scattered. Now, Peter and most of the apostles had remained in Jerusalem and were continuing to use Jerusalem as their base of operations and their base of ministry. But many, many, because of the persecution, like the one that we might read about that Paul was involved in in the book of Acts, they had scattered out through all, all the, the region around them and into all of these various cities. And the church was suddenly, what was once very close-knit and very close together, was now all over the place. And they were bewildered and had no idea what to do. Imagine for just a moment that you had to run for your life because of your beliefs. And now you find yourself in a new place, in a new city, with new customs and new norms, maybe even speaking a language slightly different than your own. And while you would have had the Greek language to kind of conduct business with, the languages that you heard around you on the regular were not the languages that you grew up with. In both cases, both today and I think in the church in Peter's time, the church finds itself shook and asking, what am I supposed to do now? I believe Peter's words to the churches of, that have been scattered out would apply to us as well. 
And for the most part, I think that all of it can be summed up in one simple word. Go. As we begin to look at the passage, we begin to see this type of instruction being communicated to Peter. But I want to take just a moment and take a step back because the first word of our passage isn't go, but something very different. See, the first verse in our passage, the first word in our passage today is therefore. Now, I love it when the Bible says things like therefore. Because usually what that means is we're seeing a shift, a transition from things that we need to understand and things that we need to believe to what are we going to do about it. The very word, therefore, implies that the next things that Paul, or excuse me, that Peter is going to be saying are the things that we're supposed to go and do. But before we get to the go and do, we have to address the therefore. We can't skip over the therefore because that will lead us to a, an, a, a religion full of activity without the heart involved. See, the therefore talks about everything that, Paul, that Peter has already written about. To sum that up, I want to read to you verse 3. So this is 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 that says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, when Peter says, therefore, what he is saying is in light of your salvation, do the following. The church may be asking, what should we do? But Peter is answering, because you are in Christ, because you are the church, do this. Brothers and sisters, we have to remember that everything that we talk about starts with the gospel. It doesn't matter what we go and do. It doesn't matter where we go and tell if we do not begin with the gospel in our lives at this time. If you are with us today and you are expecting to hear a lot of morality today and a lot of go do this, and if you do X, Y, and Z, then, then all of these wonderful things happen to you, I want you to understand you're going to hear something like that today, but we don't want you to think that that's what we're all about. See, the church and Christianity is not all about a set of rules that you are supposed to follow in order to get blessings and favor. That's not what we are about. That's not what Christianity is about. Rather, Christianity is found in the therefore. And Christianity is all about a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, I want you to, uh, Laney, I want you to go ahead and put the three circles up on the board because I want to make it very clear what the therefore is talking about. See, the therefore of Peter is saying this. First off, we believe in God. And we believe in a God who created all things and he made all things on purpose with a purpose. And, and if you don't have that part down, then it doesn't matter what you go and do. Because the reality is, is God has a purpose and a design for your life. But if you try to go and do without any regard to God's purpose in life, you're going to go somewhere, but it's not where you want to go. Because when we go somewhere apart from God's design, that's actually called sin. And sin is when we go do our own thing. And see, Paul, or excuse me, Peter has already acknowledged that there was a point in time in these people's lives where they were off doing their own thing. And they might have been trying to cover it up with religion and they may have been trying to, to, to do as much as they could, but the reality was is they were doing their own thing and their own thing was called sin and sin always leads to the same place and that's a place called brokenness. 
the people that Peter is talking to, they acknowledge that there was a point in their life where they were broken, that they were dead in their sins, and no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't set things right by their own efforts and their own work. And that they needed something outside of their brokenness to come in and save them from their brokenness. And that something is something, is something we call the gospel. And the gospel is, is all wrapped up in the person and the work of Jesus. He has talked about Jesus in our passage already because everything about who we are is not about rules. It's not about a certain kind of behavior. It's not even about just the book in and of itself that we're reading from. But our faith and the good news and all that we are are wrapped around a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And Jesus was God in the flesh. And he came to earth. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. Not to show us how to do it, but to do it because we couldn't do it. And then he died on the cross for our sins, and then he rose from the grave three days later. And the Bible says that if you, can, if, you believe, if you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. See, the funny thing is, is when we talk about going and what we need to do, the first thing we need to do is actually stop. The first thing that we need to do is to stop doing it on our own. Stop trying to, to earn our own righteousness. Stop trying to, to do everything on our own and to stop and say, I need saving. I need salvation. I need someone to come and step into my life and to set things right on my behalf. See, that's what that word repent means. Notice that arrow is pointing a different direction than the top arrow. Because repentance means that we stop going the way we were going and we start going the way God's going. And so we repent and we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we're able to recover and pursue God's design for our life. Now, I want to leave this up on the wall for the rest of the, the morning. Because I want this to marinate in your brain a little bit. Hopefully, a lot of you have this memorized by now. But everything we talk about, all of the doing, all of the going that we're going to talk about today and really in the weeks to come, it starts with this. It starts with taking a moment and saying, I need Jesus. And I need to surrender my life to him and I need to surrender to his will and I need to make Jesus Christ the, the Lord of my life. It has to start there. If we don't start here, then we can put together one heck of a religion and it'll heap huge burdens on your back of all the things that you should do. But it won't save you. Because we are not saved by all the rules that we follow. We are saved by surrendering our lives to the one, Jesus Christ, who saves. After, after Peter communicates all of this, therefore, to the people, he then begins into what he wants them to do in light of their salvation, in light of the fact that they have surrendered their lives to Jesus, in light of the fact that they have been born again and are now children of God, he says, prepare your minds for action. 
There is an imagery in this passage that somewhat gets lost in some of our translations, but believe it or not, the King James does a really good job of communicating what Peter wrote when it says this. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, I don't expect you to have any idea what that means. And when I think of loins, I think of pork loins. So I have to really take a moment and think, what the heck is this saying? But what he is saying, this is actually a military idea. The, the, the words that are being used here is to set an image in our mind, and it's not of food, but rather of activity. In fact, in these days, and as we talk about first century Palestine and really Judaism up to this point, a lot of people didn't wear pants like we wear today, but they wore robes. And those robes were not short, but they were long. They went down past your legs, and that often prohibited a lot of very physical, extraneous activity like fighting, like going to war. And so for a man who was wearing a robe well past their knees to suddenly run, fight, exercise, do hard labor or anything of the like, they had to deal with all of the fabric surrounding their legs. Should have wore a dress today to help you out, but that would have been even weirder. And to gird up your loins was to take all of that fabric and begin to hike it up and then take it and wrap it around your person and tie it off. So no longer did you have a long robe all the way to your ankles, but now you had what we would probably call a man diaper. And while that may not seem very masculine to us, that enabled those who girded it up, who tied up their, their robe and put it into a place where for us today, it would be the equivalent of about shorts, would be able to run, would be able to work, and would be able to fight. And that is exactly what Peter is calling the church to do, only not in their clothes, but rather in their mind. He is taking a group, the church, a church that has been scattered about and put into all the surrounding area, a church that has been persecuted and afraid and saying, get your minds set for action. And I think that's exactly what we need to hear in the church today. Because we have taken a year and a half and we have not set our minds to action. We have set our minds to survival. And some of us have set our minds to comfort. A couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to hang out with several of my pastor friends at the, the Kentucky Baptist Convention, and we got to talking about things. And one of them said to me, he goes, one of the hardest things that we're hearing is we're hearing faithful church members when they get called on, when they get talked to by their, their church and say, hey, we miss you. We're having in-person services. When are you coming back? They've responded with, I don't know. We've really gotten used to sitting on our couch and watching the service online, and I'm not sure if we are going to come back. Now, I don't know who said that, and obviously it's no one sitting in this room today, because you're here. But that is someone, that is an example of someone who has no longer set their mind to action, but rather has set their mind to comfort. And brothers and sisters, when the church goes through challenges, the answer is not comfort. The answer is action. 
See, the Christian faith is not just some sort of mental consent to the Scriptures, nor is it just some sort of academic exercise, but rather to be a follower of Christ is to declare war on the world around you, to fight in the rebellion against Satan and the world and even our own sinful flesh, which means that to gird your mind for action means that you do actually do something. And we have gotten too comfortable not doing anything. We have got to prepare our minds for the reality that you have been called, if indeed you are in Christ, with a purpose. And that purpose is to share Christ with people, to be Christ to people, to disciple people in their relationship with Christ. But all of those, every time, means activity. It is not just sitting in on a lecture. It is not just being entertained by an overly energetic, bald guy. It is about hearing the word of God and putting it into practice in such a way that makes a difference for the kingdom of God. No one here, regardless of age, maturity, or anything else, gets a pass in that endeavor. Paul said it this way. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly place. Peter is not writing to other apostles, excuse me, Paul in this case is not writing to other apostles. He's writing to the church. Prepare your mind for action. It is time for the church to go. Because brothers and sisters, we have a job to do. Going on in our text, when we talk about such a crazy thing as spiritual warfare and the mission and purpose of the church, Peter goes on and begins to talk about what does it mean to prepare your mind for action? What are the everyday things that we as Christians and Christ followers ought to do in order to be ready and prepared to do the work of the Lord? How do we get ready? I think the answer is found in verse 15, where he says this, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. The word holy is a tough word for us. Because we live in a culture that has almost made it a bad word. Think about the times you might use holy on a regular basis. Now, we're getting into the Christmas season, and I understand that we're going to start singing things like, Oh, Holy Night, and it's good in that song. But usually when we use the term holy now, it actually almost takes on a negative connotation. Holier than thou, a holy roller. 
These are all things that, that we kind of begin to say and we want to push back from, from so often I hear, whether it's in a Sunday school class or our college group or all that stuff, we always want to remind, well, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. But sometimes I almost feel like we're saying, and I don't even want to try. Because I don't want people to think that I, I don't want people to put me up to a high standard. We tell people, oh, don't expect anything from me. And then all the while, Scripture's looking us dead in the face and saying, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. I think it calls us as the church to take a step back and say, what does it mean then? If we are called to be this, why do we always want to try and convince people that we're not this? The word holy, first and foremost, is something assigned to God. And it really doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means. Because when the Lord God says that he is holy, while yes, it does mean that he is sinlessly perfect in every way, shape, and form, the word actually means something otherworldly, something not common. Something wholly unique in every way, shape, and form. Quite simply, it means to be different. And so when God declares that he is holy, he is saying, I am not like the world you live in. And then he says, and I want you to not be like the world you live in either. See, to be holy means to be set apart And when God calls us to be holy, he is calling us to be like him. So instead of maybe us saying all the time, well, I'm not perfect, I'm not perfect, I'm not perfect. Maybe we should say, I want to be more like the Lord. And I'm not there yet. Often to be holy also means to be set aside for a specific work. When God was creating the tabernacle and, and telling them how to do it, he instructed them certain things were to be holy and certain uh, breads and utensils and even certain days for the nation of Israel to be holy. And that means set aside for the work of ministry. Set aside for the purposes and the usage of God because God is holy. We have set aside certain things to be holy unto the Lord. And brothers and sisters, guess what? The Lord God doesn't care about forks and plates and tables and altars and tents anymore. But he does care about you. And he has made you, if you are in Christ, a living tabernacle for him because if you are in Christ then the spirit dwells inside of you which means you have been set apart for the purpose and the work of God Paul explains this a little bit better in the passage first he says that holiness, holiness means to be obedient to God Verse 14, as we look at the first few words, it says, as obedient children, we are called to be obedient to God and his word. Please remember, this is not something that just comes naturally to us. We have to actively choose obedience every day. 
Even in my Sunday school class this morning, we were discussing how most of us, most of us, our initial reaction to being told to do something is to do the very opposite of what we have been told to do. I'm married. I have children. I'm very familiar with telling somebody, don't do that, and that suddenly becomes the thing they want to do more than anything in the world. I have watched a four-year-old boy, just like I watched a four-year, two four-year-old girls before him, look me dead in the eyes, and I said, don't touch that, and watch them go. I have very clear memories of a girl that is now 14, not liking her food, and as she held that plate aloft from the table, and I said, don't you dump that food watching this two-year-old girl look me dead in the eyes and just turn that plate upside down and drop it to the floor. Obedience does not come naturally. I did not need to teach my children to rebel against me. They figured it out all by themselves. See, obedience is something that is actually contrary to our nature. We have to choose to be obedient to the Lord. We have to choose and actively say to ourselves, I want to do the Lord's will. In fact, the very notion of prepare your mind for action means to put on the mindset in your, in your head and in your heart that I will serve the Lord. Even when it's hard, even when it's different, even when I don't want to. Now, by the grace of God, as we continue to surrender to him, he will change the desires of our heart. But it requires an active choice on ours. Paul, again, says it this way in Romans 12, 2, and he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Even in that passage, he is calling us and he is telling us, think differently, actively choose to do the will of God, to be obedient, because it won't just happen on its own. You're not going to go out of the church building and just magically start to obey the Lord. You have to prepare your mind for action. Not only does... Peter call us to obedience, but also he points out that holiness means rejecting the desires of the flesh. Paul reminds the congregation of the people that he's writing to that there was a time where they were all ruled by their sinful desires. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. See, it's not just the putting on of the obedience and the holiness, but it has to include the taking off of the former self and its wants and desires. This is some of the best news when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, that you can now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to resist the desires and ultimately put to death the temptations that you have been burdened with for your life. Please understand, you are not just called to this simple obedience and, and where we don't do, where we just do what God wants us to do all the time, whether we really want it or not, but we also put to death the old self with his or her sinful desires, thought processes, and behavior. 
Paul wrote to the church in Colossae and put it this way. He said, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. To be holy means that we begin to reject and put to death the flesh and our own sinful ways and desires and begin to follow the Lord in obedience. A lot of times when we ask the question, what am I supposed to do now? We begin by hoping that we will find a burning bush or a talking donkey or an angel from the Lord in the temple or greeting you on the, on the doorstep of your home and that someone is going to step into your life and say, this is how you're going to serve the Lord with your life. The truth of the matter is that's usually not what happens. And so a lot of us still, even in a day like today, are going, but what am I supposed to do? Peter would respond and say, be holy. Stop looking for the grand, amazing ministry that you're going to lead. Stop looking for the ultimate opportunity and volunteer thing that, that you're going to do. And he would say, just start living for the Lord. And get up every day. And actively choose, prepare your mind to be obedient to the Lord God, to put away sin. And guess what? It's going to find you. And God will open up doors for you to do ministry in places you never imagined. Your morning commute, your local coffee shop, your job, your gym, your bunco club. The first step. In the church moving. Actually, let me say that. The second step. The first step is prayer. The second step is a church who is willing to act like Jesus. That seeks to be obedient to his word and put away the flesh. This brings us to the last thing I want to point out in our passage today. And the thing that as we begin to look in the second half of the verse, after he says all of these things, he begins to say, if you call as father the one who impartially judges, that each one should conduct themselves in fear during their time on earth, knowing that, that we were not redeemed with imperishable things, but, but, or with perishable things, but the imperishable Christ, as he begins to say all of this to us, what I want you to understand he's saying is, is look, be careful how you live. Be careful how you act because you are the proof that Jesus saves. We've already mentioned multiple times already today that we do this because of what Christ has already done for us. But we all also do this because our lives, our actions, our attitudes, our holiness shows a lost and dying world that Jesus does indeed save. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school class today. And if you've noticed, I've plugged Sunday school about three times today. Might want to check one out. But our actions and our behaviors and our attitudes and the way we interact with people and the way we live our life is the evidence to the world around us that Jesus, in fact, saves that he can turn around a sinner 
and make them someone holy. That he can give someone meaning and purpose, direction and hope that in truth, God through Christ changes lives. Peter finishes our passage this morning by reminding the church to make the best of their time. In doing so, he reminds them that they were redeemed, bought with a price, and that that redemption brought them into this relationship with God that they now have. See, people need to know the God you know. There are people in your job. There are people in your neighborhood. There are people in your world all over the place that need to know the God that you claim to know. And they're probably not sending me. They're not sending Joe. They're not sending some Dennis. They're sending you. God is sending you to be a witness to that person. To introduce them to the one that you call Father. The true God of heaven and earth. And the question for us today is, will you go? Will you prepare your mind for action? Will you show the world by your actions just how wonderful the God is that you serve? Because brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, they're not just going to come to us. We have to go to them. Now we started with this picture. And it still, it starts and ends with this picture. If you're with us today, and you don't know who Jesus Christ is, if he is not your Lord and Savior, if all of this is new to you, and you look at this picture and you say to yourself, well, I, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not just doing what God wants me to do. And I haven't, this is the first time I've heard this good news. This is the first time I've heard this gospel stuff. And I can feel that brokenness in my life. And I can feel that brokenness even today as you're yammering on. And I want that purpose. And I want that meaning. And I want to serve and to be moved to action. And I want to put off the old and put on the new then we would ask you today, what is keeping you from believing on the Lord Jesus Christ today? What is keeping you from surrendering your life to Christ? But the message of today is go. And my challenge today is really for the believers in the group. What's keeping you from going? What's keeping you from being the one who steps up, who prepares your mind for action, and begins to serve in the church, but more importantly, begins to serve out of the church so that people may, come, may know the God that you serve? If God is speaking to you in some way today, we're going to take some time to respond. 
And Joe's going to come up and he's going to sing one last song. And as we do that, if God is speaking to you today in, in a way that he is challenging you to move, to prepare your mind for action, to do the things that you have been burdened, that you think God's calling you to do, we invite you to come up to just maybe take a few minutes and pray here at the steps or to talk to me and I'd be happy to pray with you. Maybe you do need to surrender your life to Christ. And the first move, the first going that you do is going to Jesus. However God's speaking to you today, we want to invite you to, to respond and begin to go. Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we do thank you so much for who you are. God, we praise you that you have not just called us to sit around and wait for you to come back. God, I praise you that, that you have, have given each and every person here a purpose. And God, even in the good news of the gospel, we're able to begin to recover and pursue your design and your purpose for our life. Lord, we live in a day and age where, where we seem to be spending more time preparing ourselves for relaxation than preparing ourselves for action. But God, I, I could see it and I can feel it in the world around me is that we are surrounded by people who are longing for hope and meaning and love and grace and the opportunity to start new. God, I believe that there are people in this room even today that are feeling that pull. And God, I pray that today is the day that they give their life to you. Lord, I know that each and every person here that you have put here and you have put in other places in this community because there are people that need to know you. And so, Lord, I pray today that we, as a body of believers, will prepare our minds for action. That we will seek to be obedient, that we will pay, take off the old self and put on the new self. And that we will seek to be obedient to you and allow our obedience to point us towards the ministry that you would have us to do. God, I pray that we are a church on the move. And that we will go to a lost and dying world with the only good news that will change it. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 175, let's stand again.